This is the Rocky Mountain Review for October 15th, 2020. I'm, I'm your host, Dakota Babcock. And I'm Ivy Winfrey. And you're listening to KCSU Fort Collins. On today's show, I'll be updating you on campus and local news, and then we'll be hearing from KCSU Sports Director Dixon Lawson, who has prepared some updates. After that, we'll hear some highlights from the debate between former Governor John Hickenlooper and current Senator Cory Gardner. Then I'll be delivering some national news. Ivy will update us on the strange things happening in the world. To conclude the show, I will be giving some updates on COVID-19. Let's move right into campus and local news. Hello, everybody. Again, my name is Ivy, uh, and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Uh, starting off with local news, according to Miles Blumhart and Kelly Lyell, the Coloradoan, the Cameron Peak Fire is now burning at over 135,000 acres, and containment was listed at 56%. There are currently... 857 personnel assigned to firefighting efforts as of Wednesday. It is currently the largest wildfire in Larimer County history and could soon surpass the Pine Gulch fire that burned 139,000 acres earlier this summer as the largest fire ever in Colorado. On Wednesday, by 2.30 p.m., the Larimer County Sheriff's Office has made its fifth mandatory evacuation order in the last 24 hours, ordering people out of Horsetooth Mountain Mountain Park, Bobcat Ridge, Natural Area, Masonville, Overhill Drive, and all of Wrist Canyon, including Stratton Park. Shortly after 3 p.m., a voluntary evacuation of Lori State Park, west of Fort Collins, was called. Firefighters relocated to Stove Prairie Road midday Wednesday, and by 2.30 p.m., many firefighters were watching, waiting, and planning from Stove Prairie Elementary School as the blaze continued its eastward push. Firefighters also flew over the fire to map it on Wednesday afternoon, but acknowledged that even updated mapping would not reflect the extent of the fire's eastward advance. Those being evacuated can call 970-324-3211 for further information. The Joint Information Center is open and can be reached at 970-980-2500. Center staff can answer questions regarding evacuations, road closures, accessing pro- uh, property, credentials, and large and small animal sheltering. Those in need of Red Cross shelter assistance can call 970-481-1243 or 970-324-3211. Anyone seeking to offer assistance for those evacuating large animals should call the Joint Information Center at 970-980-2500. And their message will be shared with the Larimer County Sheriff's Office posse. According to Justin Boggs at the Denver Channel, Fort Collins and three other towns in Colorado were listed among the top five places to live in the U.S. by U.S. News and World Report. uh, Topping the list is Boulder, Colorado, followed by Denver at number two. The only non-Colorado city in the top five was Austin, Texas at number three. Colorado Springs and Fort Collins rounded out the rest of the top five. U.S. News and World Report used the job market, housing affordability, quality of life, desirability, net migration ratings, surveys, crime data, and school quality to determine its rankings. Devin Thorsby, real estate editor at U.S. News, said of the report, quote, At the top of this year's best places to live rankings, we see a combination of metro areas that can appeal to people looking for city living or more of a small town atmosphere, but all offer a balance between cost and quality of living, end quote. To find the entire list, you can visit realestate.usnews.com slash rankings slash best places to live. 
According to a press release by the city of Fort Collins, Transport will be resuming service for bus Route 92 on Monday, October 19th. Route 92 was suspended in April as part of other service suspensions due to the coronavirus pandemic. Route 92 will operate a single trip once per day. Monday through Thursday, when Pooter School District has in-person classes. Route 92 will leave the Downtown Transit Center at 4.04 p.m. and arrive at Pooter's uh, High School at 4.15 p.m. There will be no trip scheduled for Route 92 on Fridays, which aligns with Pooter School District being 100% remote learning on that day. Transport recognizes that some community members rely on buses as their primary mode of transportation, and the agency is working toward resuming service throughout the entire transit system. Determining the order in which routes are reinstated is informed by historical ridership data, public outreach and input, operational sustainability, public safety guidelines, and other factors. Routes that remain suspended are the 9, 10, 11, 12, 19, and gold routes. All residents can schedule a taxi trip to or from a bus stop along a route that is suspended or to or from another linked bus stop or transit center. There are no fares associated with these taxi trips at this time. This service is available Monday through Friday from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. and Saturday and Sunday from 8 a.m. to 7 p.m. Taxi trips must be scheduled the same day the trip will be taken and can be scheduled by calling 970-225-4831. All transport services continue to be fare-free under an emergency order signed in March. Face coverings are required on all transport buses. To learn more about transport, you can visit ridetransport.com. Moving on to campus news, according to Kelly Lyell at the Coloradoan, Colorado State University will be replacing its 2020 graduation commencement ceremony with a ceremonial walk across the Oval the week of November 16th for all 2020 graduates. No guests will be permitted, CSU officials said in announcing the plans, but the walk will be recorded so that graduates can share the experience virtually with family and friends. Schedules are still being created for the ceremonial walk to create space for everyone while also maintaining physical distance to help curb the spread of the coronavirus that causes COVID-19. The ceremonial walk is taking place on the final scheduled week of on-campus learning for the fall semester. All classes will be uh, transitioned to remote-only instruction for the final three weeks following the Thanksgiving break on November 21st through 29th. Graduates who are unable to participate in the ceremonial walk are invited to participate in any future CSU commencement ceremony with their college, school officials said. Those choosing that option will need to make arrangements in advance through their college's commencement coordinator. Participating graduates will receive their diploma covers during the ceremonial walk and formal graduation uh, pictures will be available. Graduation gowns, mortar boards, and other regalia is encouraged but not required, school officials said. The traditional hooding ceremony for those completing a Ph.D will not be held in order to maintain physical distancing guidelines. According to Corey Reppenhagen at Nine News, Colorado State University's mountain campus had its closest brush up with the Cameron Peak Fire on Friday and Saturday. Firefighters posted a video to the Cameron Peak Fire Facebook page on Saturday showing just how close the fire was to some of the buildings. Firefighters said that they have been able to divert the wildfire around the campus for now. Tess McGinty, assistant director of the CSU Mountain Campus, said there are more than 80 buildings on the campus, including some historical homestead buildings left from the first settlers of the area. McGinty said of the fire lines around the campus, truly there is a relief in seeing the return line that they 
dropped on Saturday to help protect the campus, and it just brings these feelings of gratitude. There's such a rich, rich history on that land, and it dates back to when the Arapaho, the Utes, and the Cheyenne lived there. But we have a lot more tangible history there that relates to the homesteading days, end quote. She said that CSU worked with firefighters to identify those historic buildings as high-priority assets to be protected from the Cameron Peak flames. Firefighters have been using the campus to house some of their crews, and protection efforts have been aggressive. They say they have been doing point and structure protection there for several days. And that's all the campus and local news I have for today. We'll be right back. Hey, this is the Red Scare, and you're listening to KCSU Fort Collins. Next, we have Dixon Lawson with our RMR Sports Report. Hello, everyone. Today we have an update on CSU football, multiple athletes not sticking to sports, and CSU basketball finally gets a start date for this season. My name is Dixon Lawson, and you're listening to the RMR Sports Report. CSU football is now only a weekend away with the first game scheduled for October 24th against New Mexico State. Coach Adazio has said that he is looking forward to getting the new season underway to learn the traditions here as a Ram. Only time will tell if he can create a new tradition of winning here at CSU. From football's return, we now jump to the recent decisions of CSU athletes to not stick with sports. There has been six student athletes that I have seen so far decide they will uh, be sitting out the 2021 season. Four. The volleyball team, this means that they will not have Brooke Hudson on the back line this year. It is awesome to see the student-athletes here at CSU are standing up for what they believe in, no matter the cost, and I wish them all the best in the future. Finally, to bring up the mood, CSU basketball has also worked through COVID-19 and will be hosting UNLV on December 29th. That is all from the Sports Desk. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday and Thursday, 4 to 5 p.m., to hear all of the RMR. All right, now for the debate between John Hickenlooper and Corey Gardner that was held at CSU on Tuesday night. I think there'll be a, a, a fair amount of distortion and exaggeration. Uh, the most important thing we can do is pass relief, uh, make sure that relief gets passed out of, out of the Congress. And again, Corey and I agree on this. Actually, four days ago, uh, Corey was emphatic that he thought that COVID relief should take precedence and be a higher priority than uh, making sure that we rush through this Supreme Court nomination, which is where the Senate focus seems to be. And I think the question has to be asked, 
Uh, if COVID relief is the most important thing, making sure that we get testing capacity and, and, and you know, the PPE protective equipment, PPE for everyone, why, I mean, Corey could just say, I will not vote to support this thing, this projection, this Supreme Court nominee, uh, if, the, if indeed the, the Relief Act doesn't get passed first. And there are two senators that said yesterday that they were not going to vote for it. His, his priority in setting that priority clear would be a, a, a strong point toward getting relief. We're here in northern Colorado, where the JBS meatpacking plant saw one of the largest COVID-19 outbreaks in the state. Mr. Gardner, you bragged about getting 5,000 tests for JBS workers. Union leaders say that those tests never arrived. Uh, JBS also didn't test all its workers before reopening as it has promised. Mr. Gardner, JBS is a significant donor to your campaign. Did that company properly protect its workers and did you deliver the 5,000 tests promised? Well, thank you, Marshall, for the question. I worked very closely with the state of Colorado and Governor Polis. And in fact, uh, if you look at the record, you will see that Governor Polis said every employee at JBS who wants a test can get a test. Uh, that's not me saying it. That's not the news saying it. That's Governor Polis saying that there were tests for employees if they wanted them. We have to make sure that we're protecting employees. We have to make sure that we have personal protective equipment for our employees, whether they're working at a restaurant, whether they're working at a meatpacking plant. We also have to recognize the challenges that our food supply system went through uh, when we uh, had the initial stages of the pandemic hit. Our workers at JBS were heroes, and that's why I worked closely with the governor to make sure that we had those tests. Uh, but when Governor Hickenlooper was in office, he had a chance to get the personal protective equipment that we needed for the state and yet he refused to provide the personal protective equipment stockpile. I talked to a number of the workers at JBS, uh, and they are emphatic that they did not get testing capacity, that they were... So John Kasich, the Republican governor of Ohio, who had also expanded Medicaid, we came together not to replace the Affordable Care Act. That's, that I never said that. He never said that. We were looking at ways that we could improve it, and especially focusing on ways that we could make the exchanges more cost-effective for people. Mr. Gardner, first for you. We're continuing to see impacts of climate change play out in Colorado in the form of devastating wildfires, record heat, and intensifying drought. You portrayed yourself as an environmental advocate in recent campaign ads, but over the last three years, you voted to roll back limits on greenhouse gas emissions from the fossil fuel industry and confirm former fossil fuel lobbyists as leaders of the EPA and the Department of the Interior. Why have you voted against climate action, even as climate change continues to take a toll on your state? Well, thank you, JC. Thank you for the question. Uh, if you look at those commercials that are running on TV, they talk about the Great American Outdoors Act. This is the most important conservation legislation that has passed the United States Senate in over 50 years. It will create thousands of jobs right here in Colorado. It's the biggest infusion of money into our public lands in the history of our country. The Natural Resources Defense Council has said of that legislation that it addresses two pressing issues of our time. One, climate change, and two, biodiversity. That bill that just got signed into law addresses climate change. I've also uh, passed a, a nearly 50 percent increase in funding of the National Renewable Energy Laboratory right here in Colorado uh, to focus on efforts to address climate change, to reduce emissions. But my plan doesn't include laying off 230,000 Coloradans. That's what John's plan would do. John would destroy the livelihoods of 230,000 Colorado families because he wants to make their job obsolete. Just a few miles down the road from us, Weld County relies on those jobs. My hometown relies on those jobs. But John Hickenlooper, his plan is to shoot those jobs down. I didn't hear you 
address your specific votes that were related to the greenhouse gas emissions from power plants and your confirmations to the EPA and the Department of the Interior? Well, look, I, if, you, if you look at the work that we continue to do, the Great American Outdoors Act addresses climate change. If you look at the other votes, uh, I'm sure the number of jobs that they would have cost was too high. I don't think we have to punish our economy in order to achieve reductions in pollution and to address climate change. What, what those rules and regulations would have done is driven up the cost of electricity in Colorado for those who can least afford it. And when it comes to appointees, I'm excited about the fact that Colorado has uh, its Secretary of Interior from Rifle Colorado in place in Washington, D.C. We were just in Colorado breaking ground under Arkansas Valley Conduit. That's the kind of work that we need to continue to do, but I will not destroy the economy in pursuit of a radical, further-than-Green New Deal uh, agenda. The two candidates then switched over from environmental issues to the issues of the QAnon conspiracy theory and freedom of speech. I mean, this country is based around the, the notion of free speech, that that is one of our most sacred rights, uh, and we shouldn't lightly discuss it. That being said, we've got to have some confidence in the media that we're, where we're getting our news that, that they're getting real facts. And uh, I think we are long past the time where Facebook and, and, and these large media giants, these behemoth tech companies, they have to be responsible for what, Thank whether, you, whether it's truth or, 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 or untruth. Mr. Gardner, uh, tech, social media, and extremism kind of come together online. Last week, Facebook cracked down on accounts spreading the QAnon conspiracy theory, reclassifying it as a militia. You have campaigned alongside QAnon supporting congressional candidate Lauren Boebert. Uh, for those who don't know, QAnon is the conspiracy theory that President Trump will soon round up and execute Democrats for eating babies. The president himself has praised QAnon believers. If we could start with a yes or no question to kind of guide our conversation on this. Do you share the FBI's view that QAnon is a domestic terror threat? Well, I don't believe in QAnon, and yes, I believe they're a threat. Yeah, no, and I, I've yeah. never heard anybody suggest that you do yeah, believe in it. I was just asking about the, F, about the FBI. Um, to follow up on the larger issue uh, then, so... If you trust the FBI that it's a domestic terror threat, why would you campaign along somebody, alongside somebody who's expressed support for it? Well, if you listen to Lauren Boebert, she says she did not and does not. But she uh, did, and that's, you could just well, Google I think, it. Well, uh, I think if she listened to her explanation, she talks, look, I'm not here to defend uh, Lauren Boebert for something that she did or didn't say. You can take your interpretation of what she did or didn't say. I take her at her word that she does not believe or support uh, QAnon. That's her fact. Look, the bottom line is extremism is not something that we should accept in this country on the left or the right. And we must condemn that hate every single time that we can. There's no room for white supremacy. There's no room for discrimination in this country. We have to stop uh, people who want to spread that kind of misinformation. Colorado has a choice. Are we going to protect health care for people with pre-existing conditions, or are we going to take it away? Are we going to tackle climate change head on and protect our environment? Or are we going to keep rolling back clean air and clean water regulations like we've been doing? Are we going to, are we going to step up and, and give away more tax breaks to corporations and wealthy Americans, or are we going to recreate our economy in a way that, that actually allows more people to create their own American dream? Nothing is going to change if we don't change Washington. Now for both candidates' final statements. It's a state that has been made great by early pioneers and Native Americans. It's a state that's been made great by our immigrants who have fought hard in agriculture and engineering and medical sciences. It's a state that this university has played a, a dramatic role in developing. We need somebody in Washington who's going to fight tooth and nail for all four corners of this state.
Somebody who believes that I-70 doesn't end in Vail, that I-70 doesn't end in Strasburg, that we value every job, whether it's in Craig, Colorado, or Weld County and Greeley, Colorado, those jobs matter. I've been honored to serve in the United States Senate the last six years as the most, third most bipartisan member of the U.S. Senate, passing more legislation than the entire Colorado congressional delegation combined. I'd be honored to have your support for the next six years as we fight corner to corner for the people of this great state. That was the debate highlights from John Hickenlooper and Cory Gardner's debate here at CSU on Tuesday night. We'll be right back. to listen to. Hold up. What time is it? It's almost five. Quick. Put it on 90.5. It's almost time for the 3.0 radio show. What's that? It's this crazy, fact-filled, genre-bending two hours of radio madness. Hey, everyone. If you like incredible music from every genre and learning interesting facts, join me, Carter Minner, next on the 3.0 radio show, where we have nothing but fine melodies and fascinating facts. And we are back on the Rocky Mountain Review. That was debate highlights from the, the Tuesday debate between John Hickenlooper and Corey Gardner for the Senate race. Up next, we're going to listen to some debate fact checks done by some members of our student media. 90.5 KCSU. Joining me in the studio are Collegian news editor Serena Bettis and reporter uh, Sam Moshe. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of fact checking after the debate tonight. Um, enjoy. Hey, guys. You guys are live. Hello. Hi. All right. Um, so we, I have a few questions about uh, the facts that you guys checked tonight in tonight's debate. Um, my first question is, Cory Gardner claims several times that he is the third most bipartisan member of Congress. What does that mean, and is it true? Um, that is pretty true. It comes from a report put on by the Luger Center and Georgetown University's McCourt uh, School of Public Policy. The report lists Cory Gardner as the third most bipartisan senator as of 2019. It, sorry. The report bases these off of how many bills that the senators co-sponsor and how many um, co-sponsors they get on their own bills from the other party. Great. Cory Gardner also accused John Hickenlooper and presidential candidate Joe Biden of wanting to pack the Supreme Court if Democrats if Democrats win the election. Uh, could you explain what court packing is and what Hickenlooper had to say about it? Yeah, so court packing is when you add um, justices to the Supreme Court until you get 
a balance that goes in your party's favor. And Gardner was saying that Joe Biden and John Hickenlooper have refused to state whether or not they are in support of this, which is mostly true. Hickenlooper at the debate did somewhat actually say what his favor was and that he is not in favor of court packing, but prior to it, he has not made a statement on it and has instead diverted the conversation to whether or not um, they should be confirming a new justice currently. Great. Um, my third question, the Affordable Care Act was debated at length tonight, including the importance of protecting or of protecting patients with pre-existing conditions. Cory Gardner has authored a short bill that he insisted would protect pre-existing conditions, while John Hickenlooper insisted that Gardner's bill would not. What is really going on? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, when this question was directly targeted at, at Gardner, he very explicitly said, like, that's my bill, and insisting that it kind of covered everything that might need to be covered with pre-existing conditions despite policy being as vague as it is, having an eight-line bill is, is something that's not exactly comprehensive or something that's not exactly concrete. And he was really hammered for that. Um, I think that's really what both of them were getting at, was that Gardner's bill wasn't long, it wasn't comprehensive yet. Um, but Gardner really insisted it wasn't necessarily a bad thing, that, that that vagueness really covered what needed to be discussed around pre-existing conditions and the coverage in it. Um, so it, it's not nearly as, like a lot of the conversations that went on tonight, nearly as black and white as it is. Um, but it, it, that was really what, what Gardner wanted to insist on was was this idea that the eight lines were going to cover what needed to be covered around pre-existing conditions. And Hickenlooper really hammered him on that as, as far as those conversations. Um, would you mind talking about the ways in which Hickenlooper was hammering on him? Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the biggest one that... that Hickenlooper said was that it, to repeal the Affordable Care Act, um, that was really what what both of them were kind of getting at was that Court Gardner had wanted to repeal the Affordable Care Act um, and that Hickenlooper had wanted to do the same thing except to, or excuse me, not to do the same thing, but to to adjust some things with it with around pre-existing conditions. Um, and so that was really what, what Hickenlooper went after Cory Gardner with was that the bill wasn't comprehensively helping support um, the folks who would have been most directly uh, most directly affected by the repealment of, of the ACA of the Affordable Care Act. Um, that was really where the question was staged was, I think Kyle Clark had directly asked um, the, the folks who were disproportionately going to be affected were mostly black and Latino communities. And Gardner didn't really have, I think, if I remember, a, a really comprehensive response to that. I'm not Serena, if you remember too much about that specific line? Um, yeah, I would agree with that. And I would say that um, I think part of what Hickenlooper was getting at Gardner was why he was voting to repeal the ACA mm. and have this other really short bill to protect people with pre-existing conditions as opposed to just keeping the ACA yeah. or um, amending it. Yeah, that's great. Um, uh, the last question here. There is a lot of debate around weighing environmental protection against mm -hmm. the economy and jobs. Um, Gardner insisted that Hickenlooper wants to shut down coal entirely for the environmental benefit, but without taking care of people who work in coal. Is that true, or is there more? Yeah, and this is this is obviously a huge topic for Colorado um, around kind of weighing environmental benefits with with a lot of these jobs that that come from the state and coal and in gas. Um, and really, what what Gardner kept hammering him at was this issue around supporting uh, climate transitions and shutting down coal plants, with which Hickenlooper has repeatedly said um, and really touted. 
and how it affects the people in those communities. And I mean, this is an issue that's been continuously rebuttaled was this idea of there's no concrete evidence that removing jobs from an industry means that the jobs just disappear. It just means they become other jobs. Um, so there's a lot of gray there. And that's an issue that is really talked about along, along policy lines around these issues around environmental jobs and in, in older gray economy things of if there's going to be these issues around shutting down coal plants and stuff, what does transition look like? Um, and both of them very clearly stuck on one end of that or the other. Hickenlooper repeatedly said, like, no, we have to transition and create all these green jobs without necessarily specifically talking on what that could look like and what that transition process looks like, which is the hard part of that conversation. Um, meanwhile, Cory Gardner really went after him with like, these jobs are gone, like these, these lives are going to be directly impacted by it without necessarily clarifying that that transition process is something that is, is really the full story. And there's a lot more to that that, that can really be gone into. Sure. Um, would you mind talking, do you know, is there an example of the way green jobs are coming up in the West or especially in Colorado? Sure. And less so in Colorado, but especially uh, north of Colorado and Wyoming, there's there's a lot of conversations around these, these regions that were really traditionally involved in, in coal um, and how wind energy, because of the way the plains work in, in kind of the Rocky Mountain region, um, wind energy is a really big economy thing here. And it's something that's really growing and, and slowly. Now, the question then becomes, you know, an individual who comes from a coal community and grew up doing that job for multiple generations, um, can you just suddenly have a conversation with them about transitioning their entire livelihood and, and their jobs around to a brand new economy and a brand new profession. Um, and that's really where a lot of the debate is. And that's something that there's faculty here working on a lot of issues there. There's faculty at the state. Um, and so that that transition and that growth of green jobs is something that has been supported. The question that then becomes, are candidates going to be able to support policy that helps individuals transition without you know someone over here gaining a job while someone over here in a coal plant necessarily loses it? Great. Um, obviously, there's a lot more to talk about, especially with these debates. But in general, news in this country is always crazy and always changing. And Colorado is in a lot of ways at the crux of those changes. Um, thanks for listening. If you want more news from our radio station, tune into the Rocky Mountain Review, Tuesdays and Thursdays. All right, that was debate fact-checking from the debate that was held Tuesday between John Hickenlooper and Corey Gardner. I'm Coda Babcock, and this is National News Highlights for October 15th. According to Tom Bowman at NPR, the Trump administration is attempting to end the war in Afghanistan in order to get troops home by the holiday season. Top military official General Mark Milley says there have been no final decisions made. Milley also says, quote, The key here is that we're trying to end a war responsibly, deliberately, and to do it in terms that guarantee the safety of U.S. vital national security interests that are at stake in Afghanistan, end quote. Contradictory comments have confused both people in the U.S. and Afghanistan, with some Afghan officials being concerned about an early pullout from the region. According to Bracton Booker at NPR, Kyle Rittenhouse, a white teenager who was recorded fatally shooting two demonstrators during protests in Kenosha, Wisconsin, will not be charged with gun crimes in the state of Illinois. The state's attorney office said in a statement that the gun used in the shooting, quote, was purchased, stored, and used in Wisconsin, end quote, which would mean that he cannot be charged in Illinois. According to Joshua Bote, Jessica Flores, and Doyle Rice at USA Today, President Donald Trump's son, Barron Trump, has tested positive for COVID-19 Wednesday morning. He has since tested negative again. After the president and first lady both tested positive for COVID-19, Barron Trump originally also tested negative. Um, first, la first Lady Melania Trump's spokesperson, Stephanie Grissom, has said that, quote, all precautions are being taken to ensure that he's kept safe and healthy, end quote. That's all for today's national news highlights. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review. We'll be right back.
Support for KCSU comes from First Church of Christ, Scientist, Fort Collins. First Church of Christ, Scientist, located in Fort Collins, is sponsoring a virtual talk on Christian science titled, Find Innocence That Is Powerful, Not Vulnerable, airing on Thursday, October 15th at 7.30 p.m. For more information on how to listen via phone or video chat, visit ChristianScienceFortCollins.com. All right, now we're going to be moving into some proposition ballot guides by KCSU. This is a non-biased representation of the um, of the propositions that are going to be on the ballot this year, since early voting is highly recommended this year. Um, all right, to start out with proposi- Proposition EE, which would create a new tax on e-cigarettes, cigarettes, and other nicotine products. The money raised using this tax would go to supporting rural schools, tobacco use prevention programs, and K-12 education. This would also allow for eighty four for the current eighty four cent per pack rate to slowly raise to two sixty four over the next seven years. A yes vote on Proposition EE would mean that this tax is implemented, and a no vote would mean that the current tax remains the same. Proposition one thirteen would allow Colorado to join in with other states in making electors choose the, what president won for that state of Colorado based on the national popular vote. A yes vote would mean that you you would want Colorado to adopt this policy, and a no vote would mean that Colorado will not join this agreement and will continue with the electoral college. Proposition 114 would mean that Colorado Parks and Wildlife would reintroduce gray wolves to Colorado's western slope. Gray wolves were eradicated from Colorado's ecosystem in the early to mid-1900s due to ranchers and government agencies wanting to protect livestock. There are current efforts in other states to restore gray wolves to to certain regions due to their status as an endangered species. A yes vote would allow for the reintroduction, while a no vote would prevent reintroduction of gray wolves. Proposition 115 would ban all abortions after 22 weeks, except in cases in which the pregnant woman's life is threatened by the pregnancy. Abortions within this time frame represent a very small number of abortions and are generally done to prevent stillbirth or the birth of a child from incest. A yes vote means that abortions after 22 weeks would be made legal, while a no vote would mean that abortions remain legal past 22 weeks. Proposition 116 would reduce the state's income tax rate from 4.63% down to 4.55%. Colorado has a flat income tax rate, so this would include all Colorado voters, a yes vote, or all Colorado taxpayers. A yes vote would reduce the tax rate, while a no vote would keep it the same. Proposition 117 would allow for voters to have the final say in the government's creation of new fee-funded enterprises. Currently, taxpayers have to approve of tax raises, but have no authority over fees. Fees come from toll roads, driver's license charges, and other state-provided service. Uh, A yes vote would give voters in Colorado this ability, while a no vote would allow the state legislature to continue to have the final say. Proposition 118 would allow workers across the state to take at least 12 weeks of paid leave for family or medical reasons and would be funded by fees paid by workers and employers. Voting yes would mean that paid leave would be available, while voting no would keep the current situation the same. That's a brief summary of what of what to expect for new propositions in this election's ballot. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review. Now for COVID-19 news. Colorado State University has started to have a decrease in daily new cases of COVID-19. Only three students have tested positive for COVID-19 since this past Saturday. The university has a cumulative total of 552 cases since May of this year. Larimer County's risk score has moved into the high-risk category for COVID-19. There have been 38 new cases in the county in the past 24 hours, and there have been no days in the past two weeks in which which the county saw less than 15 new cases. Larimer County's 14-day case rate per 100,000 residents has reached 164, which is considered a contributor to its high-risk score. 
The county currently has 20 COVID-19 patients in the hospital, and hospital usage is at 71% overall. ICU utilization is nearing capacity at nearly 90% across the county. The state of Colorado currently has nearly 81,000 cases of COVID-19 and over 2,000 deaths. There are nearly 900 outbreaks across the state. Over 1 million people across the state have also been tested, and while cases are generally lower compared to other states, they are going up. Nationwide, there are nearly 8 million cases of COVID-19 in the U.S., which is up 23% in the past two weeks. There have been nearly 217,000 deaths among cases, and there has been no change in death rate in the past two weeks. Last Tuesday, deaths were going down at about a rate of 6%, meaning the deaths are now going up overall nationwide. Over 178,000 cases are connected to colleges in the U.S. Correctional institutions have also struggled with outbreaks due to a lack of options for social distancing in overcrowded prisons. Information for today's segment was gathered from covid19.colostate.edu, uh, or covid.colostate.edu, Larimer County, the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, um, and the New York Times. I'm Coda Babcock, and that is the COVID-19 update for October 15th. Sometimes we need to hear a little bit of the weird side of things. So here is a few of the weirder stories that I've heard from around the world recently. According to Ben Cousins at Canadian news outlet CTV, an 11-year-old boy has been charged after allegedly stealing a school bus and engaging in a police chase. Police in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, alleged the preteen saw the bus at an early childhood education center, figured out how to turn it on, and began driving. The chase lasted half an hour before the bus crashed into a gas line and a tree in the woman's front yard, causing severe damage to the bus. Libby Smith, owner of the property where the bus crashed, told CNN, quote, Thank goodness he was okay. He was safe, but it was not your typical Sunday afternoon occurrence for sure, so we're blessed in that it didn't do any more damage than it did, end quote. While there was no injuries reported, the boy has been charged with theft of a motor vehicle, aggravated flight, three counts of aggravated damage to property and aggravated assault, according to local news station WAFB. According to reporters at the BBC, a, quote, person in a jetpack was seen flying near the Los Angeles airport, the second such sighting in the past two months. A China Airlines crew said that it saw what appeared to be someone in a jetpack on Wednesday at 6,000 feet up and seven miles northwest of LAX, as reported by the Federal Aviation Administration. A jetpack uh, is a device usually strapped to a person's back, which uses jets of gas or liquid to propel the wearer through the air. The FBI is investigating the incident, as well as a similar one in September. It is not clear if either incident posed any danger to aircraft. FBI Los Angeles Field Office spokeswoman Laura Emiller was quoted by the U.S. media saying, The FBI is in contact with the FAA and is investigating multiple reports of what, according to witnesses, appeared to be an individual in a jetpack near LAX. The airport authorities have so far made no public comment on this issue. According to Kelly Tycho at USA Today, Hormel Foods has announced that it is giving away free bacon-scented face masks. Hormel Foods, known for its black label bacon, announced the launch of, quote, breathable bacon, what it calls a, quote, revolutionary face mask featuring the latest in pork-scented technology, end quote. 
Now through October 28th at breathablebacon.com, Hormel is giving away free masks and for every request will donate one meal to Feeding America, up to 10,000 meals. The free masks will be given away while supplies last, according to a news release. Nick Schweitzer... Senior brand manager said in a statement, quote, We're continually focused on innovation, from new products to marketing and distribution, all in an effort to deliver new and exciting ways to experience and enjoy Black Label bacon. In 2020, that means connecting everyone's bacon scent to the year this year's It's Accessory, and in doing so, bring Black Label bacon closer to our fans, end quote. And that's all the weird news I have for today. We'll be right back. College radio vibes. Oh, I got you, BB. You know that college radio is more than just the Coachella lineup, right? It's also like metal and sports and EDM and news and jazz and KCSU, where college radio is more than just college radio. And now for the weather. The weather for today in Fort Collins has cooled off pretty dramatically with just a high of 55 degrees and a low of just below freezing at 27. Tomorrow will warm up slightly to a high of 64 and a low of 49. Saturday, we can expect it to warm up to a high of 72 and a low of 35. But Sunday, the weather will go back down to a high in the 50s and a low in the early 40s. There's a slight chance of rain Sunday, and there will be winds at 9 miles per hour. Monday has about the same wind speed and chance of rain, but it will be about 10 degrees warmer for the high of 66, with the low being about 10 degrees cooler at 36. Tuesday is about the same with a high of 61 and a low of 38, but no chance of rain. For Wednesday, you'll have to tune into the Rocky Mountain Review Tuesday from 4 to 5 p.m. to find out only on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. And that's all for today. We just wanted to thank Damien Castile for our amazing theme music that's playing right now. We'd like to thank Thomas Taylor, Asher Corn, Stephanie Keel, Hannah Copeland, Addison Lambert, Griffin Ham, Jonathan Gillum, Ben Kruger, Ben Haney, Dixon Lawson, Peter Waugh, Taylor Sandal, and the rest of the staff here at KCSU and Rocky Mountain Student Media. We could not do this without you. And I'd like to thank you, Coda. And I'd like to thank you, Ivy. And finally, we couldn't do this without you, dear listener. Thank you. And with that, we'll see you next time. <laughs>